The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Well, good morning, Grove Church. How are we today? I hope you're enjoying the mild weather that we're having so far. Got out of that heat wave and uh, now we're not sweating as much, so that's awesome. My name is Aaron. If I have not had the chance to meet you yet, uh, I hope I get a chance in the lobby to say hi. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at the Grove Church, and I get the privilege of wrapping up our Not a Hostage series. Uh, And every now and then, there is a a pretty significant, I feel, moment where uh, in in series and sermon planning and things like that, where uh, I don't think we intended this series to take the shape that it's taken in the sense that I really do believe it's a very impactful and powerful series. Uh, and so if you've not listened to this series in its entirety just yet, can I encourage you this week to binge listen to it? Uh, or you could, you could watch it too. We do a vodcast as well. Uh, but I want to encourage you to uh, seriously take some time this week to revisit the last four weeks as we conclude this series, because I really do believe it's very poignant and very uh, uh, important for the life of our church as a whole. Uh, and so I believe very strongly in it. So I want to encourage you, if you've not listened to it yet, please do, because it's worth it. Uh, as we've talked about, this is the idea of not being a hostage. Uh, because at the end of the day, the simple statement is this, we're not a hostage because we're God's children and we're called to live in freedom. And so um, I'm excited to be able to wrap this up for us today. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15, so if you brought your Bibles, feel free to pull them out real quick, open up to the book of Luke, uh, and hang on. We'll get into that in just a few moments. Uh, one of the things that I had the privilege of doing, uh, because we, we say this on our code, that we, we will admit that we don't know everything, but we always want to learn and grow and be better at moving the mission of God forward in the context of our church. And so uh, Pastor Ryan and I, who I like to call my twin brother, uh, we had the opportunity this week. Some of you, it's a joke, we get confused a lot. Uh, between Aaron or Ryan, and so it's okay if you afterwards you call me Ryan, I'm going to respond just as if you were calling me Aaron, so I won't be offended. Um, but Ryan and I actually were able to go down to southeast Portland uh, in an area called Gladstone um, of Portland, just one of the spots there, whatever, um, just to learn how do we get con- better and continue to disciple and move the mission of God forward. And one of the things that we, we were doing uh, the facilitator had us partner up, and since it was just Ryan and I, I was kind of forced to have him as my partner. And the, the objective was for, uh, to ask the question to one another. We would take turns. I would start, and I would ask Ryan for two minutes literally one question. Who are you? He would answer, I'm Ryan Lawfer. Um, and then he, that'd be his answer. Then I'd say, okay, who are you? Uh, you know, I'm a pastor of the Grove Church. Okay, who are you? I'm, I'm a husband. Okay, who are you? I'm a dad. Who are you? I'm a... Uh, he said something about like liking the Seahawks. I don't remember. I just had tuned out at that point. Um, <laughs> but I, for two minutes, this was going on and on and on. And then Ryan finally got to a point. He's like, I'm someone who does not like this exercise anymore. And it just kind of continued to evolve. And then I thought I actually was out of the, like, I was kind of not going to be asked the question because it's a hard drill. And then he flipped the question back on me. Facilitator had us flip roles. And he's like, Aaron, who are you? I'm like, oh, I'm Aaron. Who are you? I'm a pastor. Who are you? I'm a husband. Who are you? I'm a dad to two kids. Uh, who are you? I'm a Cowboys fan. Like He's like, who are you? I knew that was coming because it's happening every other service, and all I'm going to say is simply this. Cowboys beat the Seahawks in the playoffs last year, so we got bragging rights for a year. So I see a Cowboys hoodie back there, by the way. So uh, my Cowboys faithful strong today. So uh, every service, I've had at least one person that likes the Cowboys, so I see a hoodie back there. Come on. Them boys. I love it. Anyways, so he asked me, like, I, that was one of my responses, and he just, he did the same thing, boo. I'm like, whatever, bro, we won. Um, 
But then it got harder and harder and harder as the seconds progressed. And the, the facilitator, facilitator bailed me out. Okay, we're going to move on. I was like, oh, thank goodness. Uh, because it was hard. Like, I was like, okay, uh, I'm a child. Uh, I, I'm a child of God. Like, I was just, how do you answer that question on identity and who am I? And I would just simply ask this question to you today. Who are you? How would you answer that question? As we wrap up this series about not a hostage, the truth is you and I are not a hostage because we're God's children. But how would you answer that question? Who are you? Would you answer that you're a mom or a dad? Maybe you would answer that you're a grandma or a grandpa or a nana or a papa. Or maybe you're a grandnana or a grandpapa or pop-pop or grandma or gram-gram or grand-whatever. Whatever your grandchildren call you, is that how you would respond? Maybe you would say, I'm a boss today. I, I, I own my own business. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, biz, a self-made businessman. Maybe you would say you're an entrepreneur. I'm about forging new pathways, about trying to better the world we live in through discovery. Maybe you would say you're a teacher. You're shaping young minds, which is no small feat, okay? Maybe you would say today that you're a Christian. Maybe even further, you would take him back, man, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Maybe you would say today, like, you know what? I, I'm redeemed. By the, by the grace of God. Maybe you would go even further and be like, I once, I once was blind, but now I see. I was a wretch, but God reconciled me back. How deep can you go with that question? Because it is such a deep question. And I would simply argue this. The identity conversation is pivotal for humanity. Not just even today. I'm not trying to hyper-focus on an era of our history. But I think for our lives as people, Identity is paramount. Identity is the most essential piece that I believe Scripture speaks to regularly so that way you and I could live according to who God has called us to be because he has called us out to live well. And so I want to set a biblical precedent for us this morning before we jump into Luke 15 and talk about the idea this is where identity is. From a biblical perspective, what is our identity? And I believe Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, draws a line in the sand it says there's two things, there's two, there's one or the other that is the root of our identity. And I, I would suggest that our identity today is where we live our lives out of. Our dreams, our passions, our pursuits, everything that we do, we do for a reason. And I would say it would come back down to who we believe and know we are. So Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8. He says, for you once were full of darkness, but now you have the light from the Lord. And then he continues because he's speaking to a Christian audience says, so live as people of the light. I believe Paul tells you and I today in a very simple way that our identity is either rooted in darkness or our identity is either rooted in Jesus, which is the light of the world, as we find out in the book of John. That's where our identity comes from. And what we believe about who we are can reveal where we really are living our lives based upon. John continues this thought in chapter 1, verses 12 to 13, talking about our identity and how do we then cross over from the darkness into light? And he says this in First John or John 1, 12 and 13. It says, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, not who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. The message translation, this was shared with me this morning after first service, says this in this passage of John 1, 12 and 13. It says, but whoever did want him, who believed he was who he claimed and would do what he said, he made them, or he made to be their true selves, 
They're child of God's selves. They are God's begotten. Our identity is rooted in darkness or in light. And I'm not saying you guys are dark over here and you guys are light over here. It just is a natural line, so you're welcome. But that's where our identity is rooted from. I would, or I would suggest today, biblically, our identity and the conversation our identity is one or the other. It's not, well, I'm kind of halfway here. It's one or the other. And, the, and how we're living our lives reveals where we base our foundation on. And to understand how this conversation of identity plays out, this is where Luke chapter 15 comes into play. We're going to read a story about that's very familiar to many of us in the room. It's about the prodigal son. Whether you're familiar with the story, you're probably familiar with the phrase because it is a phrase that has gone around our world and our culture pretty, pretty re- regularly. But it's a conversation about a, a son who gets his inheritance, leaves, squanders it, comes back. His father throws a party. His older brother's mad, and the dad's begging his older brother to come in and be a part of the party. But I want to read this for us as we set the tone. We talk about the conversation of identity. This is who we are. It's either rooted in darkness or rooted in light. And the goal of, uh, of today's message is simply to know this, to be reminded of who you really are, because we're all created. I believe today the word would simply remind you that you are God's child because he created you. But let's read Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 31. Jesus is saying this story. This is a story. It's not a true account, but it's a story Jesus is using to make a point. It's called a parable. He says this in verse 11. To him, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. That's a really loving way to talk to your dad. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the same time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. Talk about timing. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. The man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home the hired hands have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father." And say, Father, I have sinned against both man and you, about both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired hand. So we returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, I love this picture of a dad. His father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Now here's something you need to understand about this picture right now. This son has left his father his father's family, to go pursue his own meaning, meaningful life. The father waits for him. In biblical times, it was looked down upon for someone to run. And a man of significance even more so. This is a man, a father who was wealthy. He had an estate. He had sons. He had servants. He had enough to give. He was a significant influencer in his community. For him to run was a very negative picture. It was, it was looked down upon, like, you're, you're running? A man of significance, people ran to him. He didn't run to them. A man of significance demanded something or said something and then got an immediate response. There was no hesitation to his, his asks or desires. So for this picture of this man, to see his son from a distance, 
the expectation from this in the Jewish culture would have been that that son would have ran to his father, got down on his knees, and groveled. But the picture that Jesus paints is of a, of a, of a dad who sees his son from a distance and runs after him, meets him, embraces him, kisses him, and then tells his servant what to do. It's interesting to note that his father didn't even let him finish his prepared speech. Have you ever had those moments you have like tough conversations? It's like, okay, I'm going to rehearse it, rehearse it, rehearse it, rehearse it, rehearse it. So when I go in there, it's like the, uh, the Discover card commercials. The one phone call, like, okay, I'm ready. Dad, I'm no longer to be your servant. I've sinned against heaven and you, so let me be, uh, or no longer, I don't, let me be your servant. I don't want to be your son anymore. I'm not worthy enough. The, the father cuts him off, embraces him, kisses him, and he says this. But his father said to the servants, verse 22, quick, bring the finest robe and put it on my son. He got his dignity back. Clothing was dignifying. To take off clothing, to be removed of your clothing was undignifying. It was humiliating. The son is coming back humiliated. And the father puts a robe on him to give him back his dignity. He doesn't stop there. He says, get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. The ring in, in, in most families in biblical times had a signet, had a symbol of the family. He most likely would have sold that ring when he was living wildly just to continue to get another fix of whatever it was he was pursuing, a frivolous, reckless, sensual lifestyle. So he got rid of the ring. So the father does what? He not only brings his dignity back, he then assigns him and brings him back into the family by a ring putting, being put on his finger, shoes on his feet to signify he's not just a servant. He's my son. The father responds to his rebellion, to his walking away by bringing him back into the family. And he says this, we must kill the fattened calf because we must celebrate with the feast. Now, typically with his historical and tradition, you'd just fatten a calf. You'd have one, okay, we're going to choose Betsy. We're just going to just keep feeding her, keep feeding her, keep feeding her. We're not going to kill her until we have a reason to party. Keep feeding her, keep feeding her. And then when there's a reason to celebrate, they take poor little old Betsy, who was a really fat calf, to get slaughtered so they could throw a big feast and everybody could eat well. So this fattened calf that they've been sitting and waiting for the right moment, the father says, hey, that fattened calf, Betsy, we need to get rid of her. It's time to eat her. We're going to have a great time. It's going to be a party for the ages. Have you seen the movie Trolls? It's bigger than the Trolls celebration of 20 years. I like the movie. He says this, why? Because the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older brother, the older son, was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what's going on? Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. Older brother, oh, sweet, let's go eat some good food. Older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. First off, he's got to be hungry because he was working in the fields. There's a party going on. You know it's really good food. It's probably the best flaming on he could have ever eaten. No, not going to. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, verse 29, All these years I have slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing, a single thing you have told me to do. And in all the time you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Now a fattened calf versus a young goat, I would take the fattened calf any day. And he's complaining over a young goat. Yet when this son of yours comes back, squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. And his father, this is the line I want us to hear today. His father looked at him and said, Dear son, 
You have always stayed with me, and everything I have is yours. God, thank you today for your word. Lord, as we talk about identity, Lord, I pray that we would all walk out believing you are who you say you are, believing you you have done and will do what you say you will. And Lord, I pray that there would be a deep conviction and belief and trust in you today. Thank you for your call. Thank you for the invitation to be your son. And for many of us in this room, your daughter. And God, I pray you would speak through me over these next few moments together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This story, as we can see it, compares and contrasts two sons. And I would argue the common element between these two sons' experiences and responses to their dad is they misunderstood what it meant to be a son. And I would argue for you and I today to bring it all to 2019 is that you and I miss and forget what it means to be a son of God or a daughter of God. We misunderstand what it means to be a child of God. Because if we're going to stay true to this series, if we're going to stay true to this idea of freedom and we're not a hostage, then the truth is simply this. We are not a hostage because we are children of God. Period. There's no asterisks, there's no caveats, there's no parentheses, there's no disclaimers. There's nothing that will set itself up and tell us otherwise because that is true. But how we respond to God our Father matters. And as we see in the story, we see a young son who knew that he was do something at one point. And so he went to his dad and said, Dad, can I please get my inheritance, the stuff that I'm owed when you die? Because I, I, I'm not going to wait for this. I'm sick of waiting. I want to enjoy life because I'm young and, and, and ready to enjoy life. And so I'm just, I just, can you just give me what, what's mine? And the father who made the statement that everything I have is yours reveals and tips his hand in this very moment. He doesn't withhold from his son. He doesn't say, well, you need to work about three more years and you need to earn about, uh, I need you to work a little bit longer. I need you to earn this. You haven't earned it yet. The father who told the older brother, everything I have is yours, shows the same truth to the younger son. He goes, divides his estate, give his younger son what is due. There you go, it's yours. The son goes and squanders it. We know that. We've read the story. But it's interesting because this son, this younger son missed it. To, he missed understanding that everything, he had, that everything his father had was his to live in the moment, to live right then and there. He didn't believe that he could enjoy the benefits of sonship, so he went to pursue and find meaning in his own way. He lived frivolously. He lived recklessly. He lived, he lived wildly. He didn't trust his standing with his father, so he squandered it. And then he came back in shambles. He came back humiliated. He came back without clothes. He came back without shoes. He came back without the family ring. He came back hungry. And what did the father do? We were to walk through that. The father embraced him and returned him back to his family. Then we see the older son, the older brother, who as this party is happening, is frustrated. Do you know what he did? Some of us know this about our families already. Do you know what they did? Some of you, it's about your spouses. Some of you, it's about your parents. Some of you, it's about your siblings or your relatives. I'm not going to give grace. Do you know what they did? We already have the older brother syndrome going on right now. But do you know where the older brother missed it? He believed he had to work and earn what was already his. He believed he had to earn what was already given. He already had everything. 
The Father said, all I have is yours. But he believed he had to put himself as a slave to his father just to earn a young goat when the father would have killed a fattened calf. How many times do you and I, in regards to who we are, miss it? As I was reading this story, I'm not going to lie, I was devastated because I realized, God, I'm that older brother. I felt and wrestled and struggled. I have to earn the right standing. I have to earn the, the, the privilege to be called the son of God. I have to earn the privilege to be called significant. I have to earn the right and privilege to be called the royal priesthood. I have to earn the right and privilege. And all the while, God's like, no, 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 no. You're missing it. You're not good enough, first off. You can't do anything good enough to earn it. Which is why I sent Jesus, because in Jesus, that line, darkness and light, because of Jesus, we're now children of light. God invites us across the line, not because we've earned it, not because you've lived a good enough lifestyle, not because you've come to church enough, you've been to all four services on a Sunday, you go to life group because you're giving the tithes and offerings, because you're serving with the bratty kids and Grove Kids. Not that our volunteers think bratty or kids are bratty, most of them. I say that dramatic just to get a point because sometimes I know I can preach heavy, so I have to be funny. But you serve, you've given, you've, you've given up a week of vacation for iHeart, and you served, and you sweated, and you got sunburned, and it still hurts. And you're saying, God, where's my goat? God, where's my goat? You promised purpose. You promised meaning. You promised significance. You promised freedom from what I feel. Where's my goat? And I believe God would simply say to you like he said to me, everything I have is yours. I could picture the dad leaning into this, this older son and saying, son, everything I have is yours. Everything. And yet you and I, in our humanity, well, yeah, that's not good enough. Yeah, I, meh. But if only you knew my life, Aaron. See, we read the story of the prodigal son, and we see how he lived recklessly, how he lived wildly. I think New Living Translation is wild living. And you're like, that story rated G compared to my life. You, you don't understand, Aaron. I, I, I'm not worthy enough to be God's son. Yep, you're right. But your sonship or your being a daughter of God is not hinged on your ability to be worthy. It's hinged on Christ's willingness to lay down his life so you can be called into the family of God. I don't know where you're at today. You you are a hostage to a lie that says that you are not good enough when the truth is you're not good enough, but God is better than your goodness. And he calls you and says, I don't care about your past. I care about you responding to me because I'm your father. But how many times do we respond like the older brother? I've got to earn it. God, you've given me this new life, so I'm going to show you that I'm worth it. No. Stop. Live in the truth that you are because of what Christ has done in your life. Live redeemed because you're redeemed. Your old way of living no longer has a hold on you. But how do we we see that change? Because here's the deal. My old way of life doesn't have a hold on me, but it has a hold on me. It still messes with my thoughts. 
It still messes with my desires. It still messes with and brings back to recognition. I'll see a glimpse of something or I'll, I'll hear about someone else's. I like to spend money. I'll spend money on stupid things. And when someone gets something, I'm like, oh, man, my stuff's outdated and lame. I need something new, too. That's called lust. I lust after stuff. I desire more. I'm never satisfied. But you know the problem is? I forget who I am. And I forget that I don't have to earn God's blessing and provision. I forget that God hears me and sees me, and he's willing to give me a fattened calf instead of a young goat. And here I am complaining about my young goat. Where's my goat? There's nothing wrong with goats. I'm just making an illustration. (laughs) You cannot earn what you have already been given. The father's response, everything I have is yours. You are not a hostage because you are God's child. So here's my question. What does God have for us? What's already ours? Glad you asked that. Jeremiah 29, 11 says you have a destiny and a purpose, plan for a future and a hope. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says you are righteous in Christ. You're righteous. Even like the 70s version, righteous. Like, I think it was 70s. I could be wrong. I'm 35. I'm so young. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says you're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. You're no longer old. You're new because of Christ. It doesn't stop there. Romans 8, 1 to 2, you stand redeemed and not condemned. Here's the beauty of this passage. We live in condemnation, which brings shame and insecurity and fear and, 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 and feelings driving us. Conviction is meant to empower us to live in grace. See, conviction should lead to a response in grace, condemnation leads us to a life of shame. Romans 8 tells us, you are no, therefore, there is no longer condemnation for those who are in Christ. I want that. I don't want condemnation. God's word says, you and I, because of Jesus, are no longer condemned. Doesn't stop there. 2 Timothy 1.9 and even 2.1 reminds us that we're called with a holy calling because of the work of Jesus. Continues on, 1 Corinthians 6.20 says you have worth because Christ died for you. The worth is determined by what someone is willing to pay for it. Do you know what Christ did? He paid it all. You have worth. Deuteronomy 14.12, or 2, I love this one. You are holy, chosen, and a special treasure for the Lord. I have two kids right now. One is six years old, one is two. Abigail Joy is an incredible young lady who's brilliant and smart, and I don't like it. Gideon Crawford is brilliant and smart for a two-year-old, and I don't like it. Abby, when you give her something, you know what she does? She treasures it. Gideon, who's true to his name, or one version of his name, which means destroyer, he likes to destroy as much as he can. (laughs) So there's this war that I get to be dad in between. But my daughter will treasure it. Part of one of the, we had a free moment this last week with Ryan and I when we were down, we went to Dave and Buster's in Portland because we had a free evening. So we played games and act like 15-year-olds. It was fun. We played Halo a little bit. Yeah, anyways, um, you get these tickets. If you've not been, you get a card that tallies tickets that you can go and buy or purchase things from their little store. I was like, I'm going to buy something for my kids because none of this stuff I'm interested in. So I, bought, I brought home this little unicorn necklace for my daughter because she's into unicorns right now. And she's, gosh, she's like, oh, my God, this is awesome. She wears it all the time. I think she wore it this morning. 
I got my son this little Captain America little stuffed doll or whatever, and, and he carries it around everywhere now. He treasures it. And I'm like, that was a good purchase, Aaron. Well done. <laughs> Not even a pr- Anyways. You're a treasure. Revelation 21.7, I want to continue on. It says, you're an overcomer who has great inheritance. Acts 26.18, you're free from darkness to live in light. Continues on in Romans 8, 28 to 31. I say this all the time because I pray it all the time and I believe it with all my heart. For we know that God works in all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to your purpose. Romans 8 reminds you and I that no matter what we face, because we are children of God, he's working for our good in the midst of them. There's two qualifiers. Do you love God and are you called according to your purpose? I can answer one of those. I believe without a shadow of a doubt that you were called by God. I can't answer, do you love God? I wish I could, because my answer would be yes for you. If you love God, and I believe you're called, then he promises to work for your good in all things. For your good. Well, this sucks. How is God working for my good in this? I don't know, but he says he's working for your good. And I don't want to be insensitive, because I know there's some hard things. But this is where our identity in Christ allows us to live freely in the midst of what we face. Where we don't become a hostage to fear. We don't become a hostage to our emotions. We don't become a hostage to the things that have ensnared us because we are free, because we're children of God. And God, I trust, and I believe this, and I'm speaking this in faith, that over every situation you're facing, that if you love God, and I believe you're called, he's working for your good. How bad, how dire, how, how, how tough, and how sucky this situation is, God is working it, and I believe, for your good. Do I know how? No, I don't. But I also know that you'll know when all of it plays out. We just have to wait and trust God. 2 Timothy 2.21 says this, that you're a pure vessel, sanctified and useful to God, prepared for every good work. Some of you just need to hear that. You're pure today. You're useful to God. You just need to hear that. Some of you feel like you don't have any purpose. And, and allow me to say this for a minute. There's some, some of us in the room that maybe you're in your seniors. You're in your senior years, and you don't feel like there's purpose. What, what use am I to, to, to the kingdom now? God has a great purpose for you. You're useful still. Don't you dare doubt for a moment that you have no purpose because you do. And I can go on the opposite side of the spectrum. If you're young in this room today, if you're in your teen years, if you're younger than that, don't you dare doubt for a second that you don't have any use because you're not old enough. Paul told Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for all believers, all believers in life, love, faith, speech, and purity. Don't you dare doubt for a second God doesn't have a use for you. Because as long as you have breath, the Bible says we must praise and worship the Lord because if we don't, the rocks will. I want to be someone who praises God even in the midst of the difficult. And the last one I put in there that isn't on the screen because it was a last-minute thing was Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, one of my favorite passages. If you come to my Wi-Fi at my house, I have a guest Wi-Fi. The password literally is Ephesians 2.8. But the long and the short, you're God's masterpiece. I think of Picasso, Potato, Toy Story. That's not you. Because you're a masterpiece. How God has created you, how God has wired you, how God has called you. You are a masterpiece. Now here's where the the, the rubber hits the road for us. How do you and I live 
according to these truths. We must daily be reminded of them. We must daily discipline and devote ourselves to understanding and trusting and rooting ourselves in God's word so we can remember who we are. See, the older brother forgot who he was. The older brother forgot what it meant to be a son of, the, of his dad. The younger brother had no clue. He just was sick of waiting to find out. And I think for us in the room today, the simple passage reminds us not just of who we are, but what it means in the midst of whatever we face. There's a passage in Colossians chapter 3, and I'll finish up with this. Verses 1 and 2, and I want to read it in the message translation. And I'll just read a couple thoughts or first part of the verse for a minute. It says this, So if you're serious about living this new resurrection of life with Christ, act like it. For you and I today, if we're serious about living the life God has called us to, to having our identity be established in him, it's time we start acting like it. So what do I mean by that? I mean, we daily devote ourselves to God's word. And we ask him to continue to reveal to us who we are. And we take even more strategic steps to learning about our identity in Christ. And one of the things that I want to put together and have for you today as a resource, if you want it, there at the hub, it's just a sheet of paper. It's really profound and really deep. It's who am I in Christ? It's by a guy who put it together uh, by Neil Anderson. It's originally compiled by him, so I can't take credit for it. But there's three categories that he breaks down that says, I'm accepted, I'm secure, and I'm significant. And each, each category has scriptures that I would encourage you not just to read, but to thank God and pray over yourselves every day. Because we are in a fight for who we are. The enemy's job is to steal, kill, and destroy. It's yours and my job as followers of Christ to be ready to fight. And how do we stay, how do we stay that? The Bible says that this is the sword of the Spirit. This is actually the only offensive weapon, offensive weapon we have in the, spiritual, in the spiritual war that we're facing. Ephesians 6 talks about the armor of God. It says he's the sword of the Spirit. Word of God. And the targeted thoughts and the targeted points. This is a start. This is not exhaustive by any means. You shouldn't just pray. But this is a point to get you in the habit of a daily surrendering and reminding of yourself of who God calls you, created you, and wants you to be. Because you are a child of him, therefore you're not a hostage. Can I pray for you today? Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your grace. And I thank you for, God, your faithfulness. God, even as I read that picture of, of the father in the story of the prodigal son, the lost son, Lord, you are so constant and consistent. You are faithful. And Lord, today I pray that many of us in the room would not just be stirred and inspired because, God, Lord, for, forbid if I'm ever a cheerleader, but God, that I pray we would walk out challenged. I would pray that we would walk out convicted and God empowered to live as your sons and daughters. I pray for a confidence. I pray for, God, even a humility to daily surrender our lives to you and to pick up what you say about us. And Lord, even the thoughts that are running through our head right now, well, Aaron, this, or I, I think that's childish. I'm not going to do that. Lord, I pray against pride. I pray against, God, self-righteousness. And Lord, I pray for humility because, Lord, I want to be your son and I want to live in the freedom that that entails. So God, give us a confidence. I pray you give us a hope and a peace. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. 
If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.